Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. In this name drop edition, we get to know people in, around, and from San Diego. It's where we spend about 30, 35 minutes to get to know someone who has really shaped our region. Sue Yu is definitely one of those people. She's the founder of Saffron Thai Restaurants with three locations in town. It's famous for its Thai grilled chicken, tom yum soup, and signature salad rolls. She's also a cookbook author and the host of Savor San Diego, a KPBS show that explored the many cuisines and cultures of San Diego. Today, Sue is living her best life in the Thai countryside, we caught up to talk about the foods that she's discovering, about her early days in business, and about what she misses most in San Diego. Here's our interview. Well, Sumei, thank you so much for joining me on the San Diego News Fix. It is really such an honor to talk to you. I'm a big fan of Savor San Diego. I'm a big fan of your restaurants. Um, I'm, I'm speaking to you. You're in Thailand, so yes, you live I, there now. I do. I moved here about a year and a half ago, right in the middle of COVID, which was a very interesting decision to make during the pandemic, but um, it all worked out eventually with great patience and blessed with the fact that I was able to find something that I thought I wanted to have to live and I was able to do that. So that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you were in San Diego for such a long time. I mean, I know you were raised in Thailand. Was it a difficult choice to make? Is there anything you miss about San Diego? <laughs> I think it's transformative, you know? I mean, you yourself moved from Las Vegas. It, it didn't just kind of happen overnight. I think it's many, many events that sort of cumulative that somehow came together. When I actually made the decision, it was a little bit fearful because you're right. I lived in San Diego since 1967. So it's been a long, I mean, San Diego was my base for most of my adult life. And I have many friends. I did many, many things and knew a lot of people there, good friends, acquaintance, and my family. Many of them were raised there. So yeah, it was was a transformative decision, but I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you doing out there now? Are you are you cooking? Do you have a restaurant? <laughs> no, <laughs> I am. I'm done. I think <laughs> I'm very I'm very blessed because I live in a community where there's a lot of people who cook very very well, and this is a, a, a traditional community where it has been here for centuries and generations. So people don't cook for fancy restaurant per se, but they cook to sell food that they eat themselves. And it's very um, wonderful to rediscover the traditional Thai cooking again that I think has been passed over by a lot of um, transformation with Western taste influencing it and Westerners wishing to learn how to cook Thai food. However, I am cooking many of the dishes I was familiar with for myself and for friends that is more Western-based, Italian-based, because for health reasons, it is much better to eat, you know, very, very good healthful food uh, based on the Mediterranean diets. So I do. I don't entertain a lot, but when I have people coming over, I always encourage them to come because it's so far away from everything and it's clean, it's pristine, in and it's like going out into a country holiday. 
so they could come out and we, you know, serve them wonderful food that is a little bit far out from restaurant food. So in that sense, I am still very much involved in food and very interested actually in ingredients that are growing in people's garden. Some of them are quite ancient and I haven't seen them actually in markets, um, especially the fresh ones. So it's fascinating to talk to them because you know these people who have them kind of ignore them because it's part of their garden. But to be able to see it grow and ask them what they do with it and how they care for it has been really quite educational. And I love that. So mm, That sounds so cool. What are some of the traditional foods that you're discovering and rediscovering? Well, you know, um, this particular area, which is right on the river near Bangkok, is known by a group of very ancient people who lived here long before the Thai people came and settled here in the 12th century. And they had their home base here. And they, um, their food is basically one of the foundation for Thai cooking. So they cook with a great deal of different kinds of earth and spices, which they pound or grind and make into a base for seasoning their curries or stir fried or soup. In the, um, in the olden days, not a lot of people cook a lot of fried food. They eat very healthfully and they're known for their curries they're known for their uh, dipping sauces, kind of like salsa, varieties of it. It's very seasonal. For example, right now, it's a season for new tamarind blossoms and leaves to come out because it's just, um, you know, it's, we didn't have much, much heat at, for, for the summer this year, which is fortunate for me. And, and the tamarind has already um, given up their fruits. So right now, new new um, blossoms and leaves are coming out. And people pick this because it's very sour, but it's very aromatic. And they use this to make chili sauce that they dip with fresh vegetables. They also make a very wonderful, interesting soup that doesn't use coconut, but they use uh, dried fish in combination with this. And so it becomes a very strange, pungent, earthy dish. And when it's done well, which these people do, then you really have quite a gift. And it only lasts just about the next couple of weeks or so. And then right now, mango is beginning to be in season. So where I walk in the morning, many people have trees. I mean, they're bountiful with mangoes, different <laughs> kinds, and so on and so forth. And so when you, they are making a lot of um, what you call it salads with green mango, because it's very creepy, very, um, you know, savory. And because we buy the river, people can get uh, fresh fish and shrimp. And these, they grill them and they make wonderful salad with these uh, with mango. So I see this in the market now, um, just for a very short time. There's a couple of what we call them fresh market on a certain day. So when you go there, these um, housewives actually just make whatever, little bit and sell them. And so I found a woman that make a most fantastic uh, fish kind of cornell that is wrapped in banana leaves and then steam. 
I mean, I love them, but it's very, very difficult to find one that is really balanced in flavor. And this woman knew exactly how to do it. And she charged less than a dollar. Wow. And it's a in itself, you know. So these are the kind of things that I'm rediscovering again in Thailand, outside of Bangkok proper, because my sister who lives in Bangkok said she can't find these things in Bangkok because people taste change, you know, the new generations, young people like you, they are very acclimated to now westernized Thai food. And they're busy going to work, they don't cook anymore. So when when she comes out here, she loves discovering these dishes because they're what we grew up with. And you can't buy this in Bangkok for less than a dollar, but you could buy just about anything. I just bought a bunch of food this morning. I always buy them for the security guards and the cleaning lady. I spend less than $2 every day buying this food, wow. including black organic rice. There's a woman that sells cooked rice by the cups. And because people are busy, they can't, they don't have time to cook. So they, she sells varieties of rice. And I discovered that she sold, she sells among other things, organic black rice, which is fantastic because she made them so well that is, you know, I don't have to make them. I'll just buy them. And they're seven baht, which is like 10 cents, you know? And so this is the, the treasure of being able to come back to Thailand and rediscover this. That sounds so amazing. Some of those dishes uh, just sound so unique and, and flavorful. It sounds like you're living a culinary dream there. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's difficult for Thai restaurants in, in America to duplicate this because they can try, but actually the food that I just described to you are very seasonal. It lasts only a very short time, and then you go on to something else. And when you try to duplicate this for restaurateurs or to cook it for yourself and home in other countries, unless you grow these ingredients, it just doesn't have the same taste. You can't really duplicate it, you know? So in, such, in, in that sense, being here, just like I miss really wonderful tomatoes in San Diego. There is no way on earth I'm gonna be able to eat really good tomatoes unless I go to San Diego because, because Thailand is a tropic. It doesn't grow tomatoes very well. And our, our breed of tomatoes are not used to be eaten raw except in salads that is chopped up with other things and with, with very pungent, with pungent um, uh, dressing, you know? So subsequently, the kind of tomatoes that I'm used to to make Italian sauce or to eat it with a you know, a tomato salad, I can't find them here. I have to go to San Diego. So you adjust and live with what you have, you know? Well, speaking of Thai restaurants, I wanted to ask about yours. So you opened your first restaurant in 1985. Uh, it was the Thai grilled chicken. It was called Thai grilled chicken on India street. And I mean, 1985, Thai food, like Americans were not very familiar with Thai food at that time. Okay. You know, how, how was it received? Well, um, I, again, became a restaurateur by almost accident because I was working a great deal with the immigrants who came from Southeast Asia because of the end of the Vietnam War. And there were people who knew of Thai food, especially the GIs, because they were in this part of the world and they used Thailand as a base for R&R. &R. So there were few people who were familiar with, but they were actually 
no Thai restaurant that I could remember except probably one near San Diego State, actually, when I went to school, and it didn't last very long because people didn't know what it was. They wanted Chinese food, and Thai food wasn't near anything near Chinese food. So I, when I finished with my foundation for helping the Southeast Asia, sorry, that was my daughter. I had to call her back. No, oh, that's okay. Let me let me try to try to tell her. Let me. That's okay. Wait, wait. Let me tell her real quick. Um, she's calling from New York. Angela, I'm on the phone. Zoom. I'll call you back. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. So anyway, um. What I did was I finished my foundation. And then during the time that the foundation, we cooked a great deal. And I worked a lot with housewives from Cambodia, Laotians, Hmong people, Vietnamese. And I knew that I could cook well for lots of people, not just 10, but hundreds of people because we did a lot of, um, a lot of uh, fundraising. And so it was kind of like a natural thing to try to do something simple. I didn't want anything spectacular. I know that American loves chicken. At that time, El Pollo were just coming into business <laughs> uh -huh. and they were doing really well. People know chickens. They, you don't have to explain chickens. Other things that goes with the chicken was a little bit complicated. We don't serve bread. We don't serve potatoes, but we serve other things that is similar to it. So I created a recipe that was familiar, but unfamiliar as an introduction, not so much so of Thai food, but use Thai food as an ambassador for goodwill. Because you know, at the end of the Vietnam War, there was still a lot of very complicated feelings in regards to people from this part of the world. And to introduce, everybody loves food. They would eat it. They either love it or hate it, but they would try it because it's a universal language. So saffron was just that. It was an educational base using your palate as a base. And when people liked it and the price was right, they just kept coming back. It took a little while, but you know, I was very fortunate to have Maureen Clancy who was writing for the San Diego Union Tribune at that time. She was a food editor and also Tony Allegra who also was a food editor for San Diego, uh, San Diego Union. They came out and they said, teach us. We want to know something about Thai food. So subsequently through them, they were able to taste and understand the basic foundation about Thai food. And that's how it flourishes. And I think this is way before your time. There's another woman, God, her name escapes me, but she was a very uh, important food writer for the readers. And Eleanor, Eleanor Whitmer, every time she writes about somebody, the place is jam packed. And Eleanor became a very good friend of mine. But at that time, I didn't know that she doesn't really, she didn't really eat. She took somebody with her to go eat because she has a very sensitive stomach. So subsequently, she came out and she wrote about it through her friend's palate. And that's how front became what it is. And so I had to expand from just selling plain old chicken to something else, to something else, something else. Slowly, you know, people understood curry. They understand noodles. Everybody ate noodles because of Chinese restaurant. And they ate curry because of some influence from, from, from the Indians. And they always liked some kind of salsa because we're next to Mexico. So dipping sauce was no brainer, you know, and you want to try to eat something kind of like a salad. And so I, I have a friend who's a Vietnamese and she make, you know, the Vietnamese fresh roll 
and I call them salad roll. That's my coin name because I alter it a little bit and put more vegetables in there. And so it became a very good seller because people eat it. They feel healthy. They could eat it while they're driving a car, you know, hoping that they don't <laughs> drip the sauce all over themselves. And um, so that's how it began. Saffron was really ambassador of food to introduce you to tradition and culture from this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you make uh, the decision? I know you were a social worker, you were a professor before turning to restaurants. You know, why did you make the leap and what did you find in restaurants and cooking for others that, you know, was missing before? <laughs> cool. Going to a restaurant business was absolutely crazy. I think I went through my midlife crisis. I think I lost my <laughs> A friend of mine, Tourette and George Munger, who owned a restaurant, very famous at that time, when I told George I was going to open the restaurant because I had the space. I was a companion with a man who owned that whole block on India Street, Rao Marquis, and he had this little space and he didn't know what to do with it. He was going to sell, uh, lease it to some pizza joint people. And they came in, they fixed everything, and then they changed their mind. So he had this space and he said, I said, well, I want to take it over. He said, you want to do that? I said, yeah, I was thinking about opening a chicken joint. She, he said, you're crazy, but if that's what you want to do, let's try it. So I talked to George Munger and George said, Sumer, you lost your mind. You don't want to do this. But I did. I was determined to do it because I think it could do well because the space was small. I said to Rao, if it didn't work, I just close up. It's a tiny place. You know, I want a tiny space, but if two people walk in, it looks like it's busy. But if you have a big place, you know, the place is not filled. You know, you've been to restaurants when there's nobody in there and you thought, ooh, you don't want to eat there. Well, with one people in Saffron, it looks busy because it was tiny. <laughs> That's genius. So, yeah, and then with George, he really helped me. Make it simple, Sume. So if you fail, you're not spending a lot of money buying all these groceries. So I did make it simple, but then when we open it, I never worked so hard. I mean, you know, it was it was crazy. It was tremendous. I've never worked so hard in my whole life. I remember the first day I went home and I was exhausted and I had to get up the next day at four o'clock to go pick up cases of chicken. I came up with a bag of money and I put it all on the floor with Ra looking and he helped me count. I make $500 the first day. Wow. He said, good girl. Wow. That's <laughs> that a lot. Was, that was 40 years ago. Right. That's incredible. Was it in the same location that it is today? Yes. It's now, it's, it's not exact. It's right next door. The people who bought Saffron open up taco joint next to it. But that was the original saffron. Hmm. It's like 700 square feet, very tiny. Amazing. Well, Sumi, I have a lightning round for you. It's just some off the wall questions to get to know you better. And my first one is, what is your first food memory? You know, something from childhood, maybe the first, the first thing that you can remember. Oh my goodness, I think it's banana. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> because, because we had a lot of banana in Thailand, and I think as a child, um, I just remember banana. That's mm. it. We eat a lot of bananas. And the banana in Thailand doesn't taste like anything you can get in, in America. It is absolutely wonderful. And I think as a child, it was a rare treat to have bananas. Mm, that sounds amazing. What is the strangest food you've ever had? Oh my God, we were talking about this. It's water buffalo placenta. Whoa. 
<laughs> that that's like I wow I could not have anticipated that um okay where were you what were the circumstances how did it taste I was in northern Thailand with a friend of mine who owns an international school and I make very good friends with all his workers I didn't make friends with the teachers but all the people who clean the street cook whatever it is or do you know do manual work they were my friends and this family who look after the garden knew that I love to eat food. And he he and his wife would challenge me with all these very strange things. I mean, I ate things like, uh, what do you call it, termites when they were flying around during the rainy season. I ate um, the first bloom from the canals, this green stuff, you know, I ate all kinds of weird things. But one day he said, the water buffalo is giving birth to the baby. And I said, well, that's great. Can I come and watch it? He said, sure, but we're waiting because we wanted the placenta. I said, you want the placenta? What are you gonna do with it? He said, we're gonna cook it. It's like most potent things for men. It's supposed to make the butt virile. And I said, well, I'm not a man, but I like to taste it. He said, you do? He said, it's really different. Kun's sume. I said, I don't <laughs> care. So then I was sitting there having lunch with my friend and the man came creeping in and he saw his boss and he didn't want to give it to me. But then I said, give it to me. And so he gave it to me in this thing that looked kind of, it's hard to describe, it's like a stew, kind of uh, mushy with a, with a sticky rice on the side. And he said, my friend said, what is this? I said, you don't want to know. I'm going to eat this and I'm going to tell you later. He <laughs> said, tell me what it is. I said, no, I'm going to eat it now. What they did was that they took the placenta and they steam it. And they put all kinds of herbs and spices in there to kill the smell, okay? So it doesn't really smell like what you think it smells. It doesn't have any smell, except it smells very, very hot. It has a lot of pepper in there, different kind of pepper. So I had to eat it with the sticky rice, otherwise it'll burn me up. So I did. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. It's kind of salty, but very hot and very sour. So he said, well, why are you eating? I said, I'm eating water buffalo placenta. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> wow. This I is... said, you want to taste? He said, no way, you're nuts. <laughs> I love it. So adventurous. You know, we've asked that question of different people on the podcast. And sometimes I think possum was the next most adventurous answer. But I mean, I don't think I'm going to ever meet anybody else. <laughs> that's, that's tried water <laughs> buffalo placenta. That's really, really incredible. Um, how about, my next question is, is there anything you didn't get to do in San Diego that you still want to do? Oh, I can't, I miss my friends, Christy. I wish I say without crying, I miss my friends terribly. I miss all my friends, we've been friends for a long time. Many of them for over 40 years. And I miss them terribly. I miss, I don't miss not having done something. I miss doing things that I enjoy doing with them so much. Like just having dinner. I love having them coming to the house and not telling them what I'm gonna do. And they'll show up and they'll have these strange meals but they always give it a try. I miss that more than anything else. And I miss having um, informal conversation with some of my friends and 
that's what I miss the most. I don't miss not having done something because I think I did so much already. I've done so much, you know, that I don't, I don't miss not having done something, but I miss with being with my friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. I can relate as well. That's the thing I miss about Las Vegas too. Not really the place, but the people. Yeah. You know, I mean, you grew up with them. You share so much with them. You share good things, bad things, good time, bad time. You share laughter, you share tears. And suddenly it's all like this, Zoom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's time, you know, but it's, it's not the same because I can't touch them. I miss the touch. Yeah, I miss the smell and the touch. Will you come back to visit? Oh, yes, Absolutely. They keep begging me, but you know what? To go to America, it's a long way. (laughs) Yeah, but I will. I always do. And, you know, Saffron is there. And Saffron at the airport is opening on April the 11th. Wow. Almost three years. I mean, they had to shut down and I got news that they're going to open. So I wish I could be there because I really wanted to help them. They're very brave to do this during this time. Because, you know, it's very hard to get very exotic ingredients now because of the difficulties related to COVID and the wars and so on and so forth. But they're determined to make it work. So, you know, I, I will come back to San Diego because I had the link not only with my friends, but with these people who had really um, tried to carry on my heritage and my legacy. Mm-hmm. And I miss the smell of San Diego, believe it or not, the ocean. <laughs> no, I do. I miss the ocean. And uh, I miss just touching, being with my friends. So I will come back. Well, whenever you return, that saffron at the airport, we'll be waiting there for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go and visit them and see if I could help them out. Because, sure. you know, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of good friends, um, who is a person in your life that has really influenced or inspired you? Oh, there's so many, Chrissy. I can't just say one. There's so many of them. Each one of them brought something very special. I have a great friend, Lucy, who's now has Alzheimer. I could still talk to her. She still remember me a little bit. I have Yvonne who is wonderful. She's in her 80s. And the two of them actually helped me taste everything when I first opened Saffron and told me, don't do this, do this. So, and they have always been there for me, too thick and thin. I have Deborah Seike, who's turning 99 in May, who has been a great, great friend, whom I say, I want to move to Thailand. She said, go where your heart tells you never stopped me. I had Dean Oliver, who would never, ever in a million years, I could never done any of this without him. He was like my financial person and a best friend who can scold me and told me that I was being silly or that I would, should not be fearful and anxious. I have so many of them. I have so many, many good friends. I can't just name one because they all add a part of me that is my life today. Mm, that's so beautiful. It's clear that you're very rich in friends and friendship and love. I have so many friends, Christy. That's what I miss about that place. <laughs> well, we're always here to welcome you back when you're ready, but it sounds like you're having a wonderful adventure there as well. 
Thank you. When you come to Thailand, you could come stay with me. I, I would love bed. that. <laughs> I have an empty room sitting there with television I've never turned on. <laughs> I'm paying for it, but I never turn I don't even know how to operate the machine. They want me to turn it on. I don't know how to do this stuff. I have fantastic internet. I got two of them. So you could come here and connect with San Diego, Las Vegas. Look out the, the, the patio, look at the river. And I'll take you to go look at some strange food being sold and some familiar food. Pad Thai is never the same unless you come to Thailand to eat Pad Thai here. I, I swear. Even my Pad Thai doesn't taste like Pad Thai. It's supposed to be. A different restaurant had different Pad Thai. They all taste are just a little bit different, but they all something you cannot duplicate because of the, the hand of the person who's cooking. So if you love Pad Thai, come to Thailand. <laughs> you do not have to twist my arm or sell me on this. I'll be knocking on your door very soon. No, come, come with a car to pick you up at the airport. You don't even have to try to find a way to get here. That is so sweet. Um, well, Sumi, I know that, you know, we said about a half an hour. I have a, just a couple more questions for you, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. One is, um, again, as, as I told you, I'm such a big fan of Savor San Diego. When I moved here, I, I watched many of the episodes just as a way to learn about the city, about the cultures that are here, and, and really, you know, just become acquainted with San Diego. Uh, you did it for four seasons. There are just tons of episodes on so many different topics, but what were some of the most memorable uh, episodes to you? Oh, I, I love... Um... I love eating raw uni. That was one of the very first. And I love when I was still drinking to do this episode with the Japanese drinking. I have never drank so much sake in my whole entire <laughs> life. I started at nine o'clock in the morning and never finished until about, I think, five. And we did the same again in Guadalupe Valley drinking tremendous amount of wine that was just being introduced every which way and tequila and mezcal. So I love those episodes. And I love um, being out there with, with the gardeners. You know, Bob, I did one the very first with specialty produce with Bob Harrington and he didn't want to do it because he was so camera shy. I said, you know what, Bob, without you, there won't be San Diego. Without you, there is no savor San Diego because you know why? You were around long before anybody knew anything about all this fresh organic food. You were the first one all the way in La Jolla with a little hole in the wall place that people thought you were just a bunch of hippies, but you were really committed. I want to do a show about you. So with him, it was one of the very best thing that I could pay back to him because he was, he's such a good friend. And you know, without him, San Diego won't be the same without organic food. So I feel very proud to be introduced to him, introduce him to Save San Diego. So those were my favorite thing. I think each one of them is special in a way, Christy, because you know, we're very, very selective. We want to do something really interesting and odd. Oh, the salt man. Oh my God, this poor man. He was trying to desalt the ocean water and turn, you know, into drinking water. And for why we were selling his water and using his salt for our cooking, which was kind of fantastic. So each of them has really great memories. So, you know, it's hard to say just one. Yeah. Yeah, those are all great. Uh, well, my final question for you is, you know, you're, you're so successful in life. You have been so many things, you know, you're a community leader, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you are an author, you've been in the media. Um, what is your best advice? You know, what, uh, what advice do you have 
on living well? I think you are your own personal master. No one can tell you what to do. No one can tell you how to behave. No one can tell you how to think. No one can tell you how to eat. You must take control of your life. Be kind, be good human beings, be generous, be loving, and be good, most of all, to yourself and use it as a vehicle to do good work. Because this is it. You got one life. You got this life. It's very precious. You're very lucky to be born as a human being. Oh, yeah, there are problems. There's difficulties at times. But there are lessons to turn it around and help you to say, it's just not about me, you know. It's about other people, too, and about other circumstances. Use it as a way to teach yourself to be loving, to be kind, to be generous, and most of all, be happy. Really be truly happy inside, not just the outside, not going out for a meal, not going for a drink and not going on vacation, actually being really content within because that is your strength to do good. Mm, so beautifully said. Thank you, Sume. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. Thank you, Christy. I know it's so late for you. Thank you for staying up and doing this with me. Thanks again for listening to the San Diego News Fix. Just a quick note, Sume called to say she had made a mistake about her friend's birthday. She's not turning 99. Actually, my friend Deborah CK is going to be 100 this coming May. Happy birthday, Deborah. I'm going to miss your grand celebration. Lots of love to you. Happy birthday, Deborah. And if there's anyone else in town you are interested in learning more about, please drop me a line. I'm at christy.totten at sduniontribune.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y dot T-O-T-T-E-N. Thanks for listening. <laughs>